Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode 60 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. We are in the liturgical season of Easter, which is really, really exciting. And so what I thought I'd do for this podcast is take another look at some of our Easter readings from Easter Sunday, maybe to make this a little bit of a bonus Easter message, because the truth is, I think we all need a little extra resurrection this year. And so I'm going to go ahead and start with our reading from Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-matured wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-matured wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Here ends the reading. So that was our reading from the book of Isaiah on Easter Sunday. And even though I didn't preach on this passage on Easter, I do want to say something fairly obvious about it because it speaks about God swallowing up death forever. Death is a really hard thing to think about. Death makes us feel scared, lonely, and powerless. We often speak of death as a natural and normal part of life, and I thank God that many deaths seem that way. But let's be really honest. Whenever we lose someone we love, or when we think about our own death, We don't feel natural and we do not feel normal because death just feels so irreversible. And so no matter how much we speak about death as a natural event, I have never met anyone whose heart is fully on board with that claim. And to be quite frank, the Bible is not on board either because from a biblical standpoint, death isn't actually viewed as a natural part of God's creation. Death, rather, is viewed as an enemy, as a great intruder to God's good creation. In other words, death is seen as a bleak reality that must be overcome and defeated, a giant stone hanging around the neck of humanity. And it is a stone that weighs us down. It's a stone of fear, a stone of loneliness, a stone of powerlessness, a stone too heavy for any one person to move. And so many people wonder, is death all that there is? Or 
Is there someone that can move the stone? Now, as you ponder that question, I'm now going to read Mark 16, 1 through 8. This was the gospel passage appointed for Easter that I did not preach on and that we did not read. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. And so according to this gospel passage, there's three women on that first Easter morning who go to the tomb asking the exact same question we were raising just a moment ago. They wanted to anoint Jesus' body, the first of two steps required to give Jesus a proper Jewish burial. And practically speaking, they were powerless to move the stone that guarded Jesus's tomb. According to Mark, the stone was very large and far too heavy for the three women to move. And so on their way to Jesus's tomb, they ask one another, can anyone move the stone? But can you hear their deeper question? The deeper question behind, can anyone move the stone? You see, these women had spent years in Jesus' presence. Time and time again, Jesus spoke to them the words of eternal life. With their own eyes, they saw Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and restore the sinful to a right relationship with God. Jesus was their teacher, their friend, their hope, and to spend time in Jesus' presence was to know the absence of stones. For his yoke was easy, and his burden was light. And only two days prior to this passage, Jesus was crucified. And so for these women, it wasn't only that Jesus died, because on that first Good Friday, hope also was nailed to a cross, right? The enemy had seemingly won. The great intruder could not be stopped, and the millstone of death hung heavier than ever before. And so once again, with all that in the background, can you hear their deeper question? Can you hear the world's deeper question? Can you hear your soul's deeper question? Can anyone move the stone? And so here is what I'd have us all consider for this podcast today that the church, that the church is a community that gathers to celebrate the absence of that stone. 
You see, we believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and because of that, our universe has forever been changed. That giant millstone hanging from humanity's neck, death, it has forever been cast into the sea. The enemy has been defeated. The intruder has been stopped. The stone has been moved. And in essence, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is what Christianity is all about. I'm going to steal a phrase from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which was appointed to be read on Easter Sunday, which I'm not going to read that whole passage, but Paul speaks of the resurrection being of first importance. And that's because it's really the only explanation for the existence of the church. And this passage from 1 Corinthians, if you read that whole passage appointed for Easter, one of the things you're going to find is that Paul lays out his vision for the resurrection and how it gave birth to this movement called Christianity very clearly. He says, Jesus appeared first to Peter, then he appeared to the twelve, then to five hundred people all at once, many of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James, then he appeared to some unnamed apostles, and then finally Paul says, Jesus appeared to me. In other words, what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians and what I believe the Spirit is trying to tell us is that Jesus' resurrection from the dead really happened. And in that happening, in that event, that historical event, our universe has forever been changed because the enemy has been defeated. The intruder has been stopped. The stone has been moved. Now, I find in speaking to people, there's often a lot of confusion about what resurrection actually is, about what it meant for Paul and about what it should mean for us. And So for the early church, resurrection meant simply this, that people who die in Christ would one day return to a new, glorious, and embodied life, not at all disconnected from the one they had before, and that in the meantime, if they happened to die, that their spirit would be safe with God in Christ. But not only that, for In Jesus' resurrection, we find the hope and the belief that God will one day renew not just us, but actually all things, that the entire earth will one day be filled with God's love, God's grace, God's power, and God's glory. Because ultimately, resurrection is not just about individual persons or about human beings. It's actually about God's great conspiracy to reverse the irreversible. And if you think about that long enough, that is a scary and amazing and wonderful thing. And so as we enter this season of Easter, here is my invitation to you and what I'm going to work on in my own life. I invite you to do all that you can to see the world and to see your life through the lens of resurrection. Because resurrection is not just something that happened to Jesus, nor is it only something that will happen to us. Because even now our God is alive, and because of that, resurrection is happening all around us. Make no mistake, alleluia, Christ is risen 
this is not just a slogan for the religious. It's also the cry of revolutionaries, right? Because we believe the universe has been changed. A revolution is now at foot. And so practicing resurrection is about joining God's revolution. It's about learning to see the world differently, about learning to see ourselves differently, all because we believe that the tomb is empty and Christ has been raised from the dead. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, Christianity at its core is not a set of moral teachings. Uh, It's not a mere path among many to a deeper spirituality. It's not a system of belief or a rule of life, and it's not a political agenda. It may include many of these things at times, but as Paul says, none of these are of first importance. No, Christianity is about a real event that happened in real time in our real world that we really inhabit, and it has the capacity to make a real difference as a result. Because resurrection has happened, we believe our world has forever been changed, and we are invited to step into that change and to be changed as a result. And so I think it would be really appropriate for us to do something to celebrate this Easter, I don't know if you gave anything up for Lent, but, you know, if Lent was about giving things up, maybe Easter should be about taking things on. Champagne for breakfast, chocolate cake for lunch. You know, or maybe that's actually really bad advice. I don't know. But my point is that as Christians, we are to be in the world as one who celebrates. We are to love, bless, heal, forgive, restore, cleanse, feed, give, celebrate. I'm currently reading a book called New Seeds of Contemplation by the late Thomas Merton, and in the final chapter of that book, he has this wonderful quote about the general dance at work in the creation because of Jesus' resurrection. It's a long quote, but I'm going to go ahead and read it to you now. He writes this, What is serious to men is often very trivial in the sight of God, What in God might appear to us as play is perhaps what he himself takes most seriously. At any rate, the Lord plays and diverts himself in the garden of his creation. And if we could let go of our own obsession with what we think is the meaning of it all, we might be able to hear God's call and follow him in his mysterious cosmic dance. We do not have to go very far to catch echoes of that game and of that dancing. When we are alone on a starlit night, when by chance we see the migrating birds in autumn descending on a grove of junipers to rest and eat, when we see children in a moment when they're really children, when we know love in our own hearts, or when, like the Japanese poet Basho, we hear an old frog land in a quiet pond with a solitary splash, At such times, the awakening, the turning inside out of all values, the newness, the resurrection and the purity of vision that make themselves evident provide a glimpse of God's cosmic dance. For the world and time are the dance of the Lord. The silence of the spheres is the music of a wedding feast. The more we persist in misunderstanding the phenomenon of life, the more we analyze them into strange finalities and complex purposes of our own, the more we involve ourselves in sadness, absurdity, and despair. But it does not matter much, because no despair of ours can alter the reality of things, or stain the joy of the cosmic dance 
which is always there. Indeed, we are in the midst of that dance, and that dance is in the midst of us, for it beats in our very blood, whether we want it to or not. Yet, the fact remains that we are invited to forget ourselves on purpose, cast our awful solemnity to the winds, and to join in the general dance. And so, friends, I invite you this Easter to join in the general dance, the great celebration that is happening all around us because the Lord has been risen from the dead and the tomb is empty. And as you dance, as you celebrate, as you learn to see resurrection, pay attention to the world's question, the question every person is asking whether or not he or she realizes it, which is, can anyone move the stone? And then be confident in your witness as a Christian that the same God that moved the stone that first Easter morning, that this God still moves stones, stones of fear, stones of loneliness, stones of powerlessness. And as for that millstone we call death, that stone has forever been rolled away. For the enemy has been defeated, the intruder has been stopped, Jesus has moved the stone. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.